Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, so we are back for another installment of our defense with DJ, and our guest host for this one is longtime defensive coordinator in the FBS, DJ Elliott. And we're going to talk today about Kentucky's defense, Texas A&M, and both Iowa and Penn State from a, a big showdown with number three and number four. So, Coach, it's great to have you here. I know one of these games you attended in person; the others, obviously, you watched on TV. But really looking forward to getting your insight into what's going on with these defenses. I'm glad to be here. It was a fun weekend of college football, maybe one of the most fun weekends of all time in college football. Very exciting. A lot of games were down to the wire. Good coaching on both sides of the ball. Good playing. I mean, what what an exciting weekend. That's something we could almost record and hit play for because that's what this season has been like. A lot of, I think, unexpected things happening, but that's also what makes it fun. That's why you play the games, right? As coaches. That's what we say when you set the schedule. They may be the favorite, but guess what? That's why you play the games. Absolutely. So let's start with the game that you attended. You were at the Kentucky-LSU game. Obviously have a history there with the guys at Kentucky. And you know, you saw some things that you were familiar with. I, I did. First of all, they played great defense. And they've been playing great defense all year. They're well coached. They play hard. They play together. They're really an impressive unit to watch. From a schematic standpoint, they're running the same defense that we put in when I was there, and that's a combination of a 4-3 and a 3-4 front with multiple pressures, and most of those pressures being some type of simulated or creeper. Now, in this particular game, I noticed a lot of clouded to one side creepers, and I'm not so sure it wasn't based off of a, a wide out booty. I mean, I wasn't for sure on that, but there were a ton of creepers that were three cloud coverage, which means they are cloud to one side and then cover three to the other side. And the pressure is coming from the field and it's coming from the boundary. So they were bringing a nickel pressure from the field, or actually it was an inside pressure from the field. They were bringing a mic pressure from the field and they were playing cloud to the to the field and then they were playing cover three the boundary closing the post and then from the boundary they were bringing the will backer on a uh, creeper and then they were playing three to the field and they were clouding the boundary and again 
like I talked about last week, when you run a creeper or also known as a simulated pressure, that means that the outside backer is in the drop somewhere. So his drop is equivalent to an inside linebacker's drop. And that's what makes the three, four unique. Some people say, I know that they claim to be a three, four, but I see them in a lot of four man fronts. Well, the fact that they're in a four-man front isn't what makes them a 3-4. What makes them a 3-4 is the fact that those two ends are linebackers, not defensive ends. And those two ends can execute any drop as well as any inside linebacker. And in this game, they got a lot of pressure, and they did these creepers out of multiple fronts too. I saw some out of Oki fronts. I saw some out of over fronts, under fronts, and – really gave LSU some problems and and some confusion, not only in coverage, but in in pressure too. It was a, it was a real impressive win for them. And I thought that they mix it up well and, uh, and they're, they're playing really good and it's an impressive defense. So coach, let's talk a little bit about that three cloud and, and, you know, you suspected obviously not knowing the game plan that um, that was being done, uh, the rotation of the coverage to a wide out. So, when you're looking to use that type of coverage, guess what kinds of things would induce you to say that this is probably our best answer this week? Well, when you have a wide out that is dominant, that if you allow him to get loose, could cost you the game, then you have to incorporate what is known as some defenses as a star coverage, which means we're going to rotate the coverage some way to the star. So you've got to get two over the top of him. Now, you can check it, you know, the defense checks it where he is, right? Or sometimes as a coordinator, you'll get a tendency um, based on what, what the formation is, where he's going to line up. Some people put their stud in three by one is always the X, you know? So now it could be a three by one check instead of a, a coverage that you have to check based on where his lineman is. Mm-hmm. Now, if he's a guy that's going to move around, then that clouded coverage has to change based on where, that player is you can play a clouded coverage and play quarters on the other side or you can play a clouded coverage and you could play three on the other side or you could just play a, a total clouded coverage now the weakness obviously in quarters and a true just cover two to both sides is the middle of the field you know your, your middle of the field is now open for shots or for anything that's a, being attacked to the middle of the field from the other side the strength by playing it a three cloud is you've closed the middle of the field. The middle of the field is closed and you've clouded their best wide out so that he can't get over the top of you. Now, when you do that, okay, when you go to a three clouded coverage, the uh, challenge is, is you now put yourself with one, anytime you have a middle of the field player, you now have one less player in the run fit. Anytime there's a closed middle, there's one less player in the run fit. So whether it is a three cloud coverage or whether it's just a cover three or a man free, there's one less player in the run fit. So the weakness now becomes QB runs, Mm -hmm. you know, anything in the QB run game. If you're not playing a quarterback, that's a threat as a runner, obviously closing the middle and whether you're playing three man free or three cloud. Okay. Is a great way to attack an offense. 
three cloud is the way that you attack an offense if you have one player that is definitely better than the others who they try to get the ball to. Perfect. I was going to ask you some questions on what is susceptible to. So you covered all those things. Let's move on to the second defense that we're going to talk about today, Texas A&M with a, a huge win over number one, Alabama. What a game. And it came down to the wire and Texas A&M came out firing. I mean, Jimbo had the guys ready and they were playing lights out, playing hard. Both sides of the ball, I think, were executing on offense and defense. This was just a good college football game to watch. And kudos to the kicker that made it under pressure. Right. I, I honed in on watching Texas A&M's defense. We talked about Alabama's defense last week. So I really honed in on, on evaluating Texas A&M's defense. And Texas A&M, from a base, is a brackets coverage team. They're a four-man brackets coverage team. And a brackets coverage means that you're going to have somebody man-to-man with some zone concepts on every wide out from corner depth, and you're going to have two quarter safeties. And, and that is, is Texas A&M from a base. Now, if you do that, as soon as you remove, in quarters coverage, remove a linebacker from the fit or a nickel from the fit and put him in a man concept on a wide out, you now have less one, less one, less player in the run game. So you have some fit issues there that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Well, the way that Texas A&M handles those fit problems is they have an elaborate scheme of line stunts, of four man line stunts. And one of the most effective ones they had is they would slant from a, a G to a shade. And if the center blocked out on the G or the shade, then he would cross face. And when he did that in the zone scheme, there was nobody to block the backside backer. So the backside backer was, was scraping over the top of that, of that G and he was making a ton of tackles. They also run a, a text game. Okay. Now what's, what's critical in the way that you run games, there's two different types of games that you run. There's pass games and there's run games. All right, pass games are run to beat protections. Run games are run to beat blocking schemes. And the way that you run them is different. And one general concept that I would give my players is pass games are deep and slow and run games are jab and go. Because if you run a, if you run a pass game against a run, as the player starts to get up the field, he may not be able to loop. And if you run a run game against a pass, then a looper is going to go too quick and the offensive lineman is going to trade it. In almost every game, there's what's called a penetrator and a looper. All right? Now, the way that you run those games, again, depends on if it's called for run or if it's called for pass. And if it's called for pass, those two defense alignment have to get up the field first before they penetrate and loop. And if it's called for run, then those defense alignment have to go right now. The penetrator will slant and go right now, and the looper will jab and go. And that's why the difference in the two games is called deep and slow and jab and go. And they did an excellent job of stopping the run with what some would be considered a light box with their line stunts. And they also got into some straight just over cover three and gapped it out 
and, and played some single gap spacing too. And they did a great job of understanding the way that you have to fit the run differently with the two inside backers. You know, whether you're gapped out and you're downhill players or if you're working off your line stunts and knowing exactly where you fit on that. Brackets coverage is what we ran when I was at Florida State. And it's a very effective coverage because you're doubling the slots and you are also able to stop the run without having to drop an extra player in there to fit it. Now, where you need an extra player sometimes comes from the safety. And the way that we did it at Florida State is we two-gapped the D-line to try to push everything wide out to the safety. And the way that Texas A&M is doing it is they're running some elaborate line stunts to push everything out to the safety. So, Coach, I want to dig into the line stunts a little bit and agree with you on how those have to occur to be effective and run and pass. So for you as a defensive coordinator, how do you go, go about knowing what you want to call? And then if, if you call one for your guys and it's, let's say you call it a, a pass stunt or pass game ends up run, how are you training them to redirect that so they're not giving up big gains because they're getting into their pass rush lanes? One way to handle that is the name of the game is different. So if I were to signal a TE stunt, if it was a pass game, it would be called one thing. And if it was a run game, it'd be called another thing. Mm -hmm. So it comes in different with the signal. So they know that it's different with the signal. A way that you can adjust that on the fly is when you take that jab step as, as the looper, if you recognize that they're passing, then take a couple more steps before you loop. If you're the penetrator, as you take a flat step to penetrate into the gap, once you recognize that they are pass setting, get up the field before you cross. If you're going to try to get the best of both worlds, it has to start with the footwork of a run game. Mm-hmm. And then it has to adjust. It has to adjust into a pass game. So in practicing those, the best way to accomplish those, I know when I see a lot of these stunts put in, and again, I, I, I do watch a lot of high school teams film and I see their playbooks and stuff that there isn't necessarily that distinction made. And then I also see a lot of this stuff just being worked on on cans, which are very static. So, you know, at some point, obviously, you need your guys to make those decisions. So what what types of things do you like to do in practice so they start to get that visual recognition uh, to know that a run game was called, but these guys are pass setting and I got to react and do this the right way in order to make this work. When you design your practice for defensive line, you have all the skills that you need to make sure that you cover. And then, you know, obviously the drills that go underneath those skills. But one of those particular skills that's on a defensive lineman's, uh, our defensive lineman coach's checklist is stunts and games. So there's going to be a section of practice once a week during a game week that he's going to work nothing but stunts and games, okay? And the great thing about defensive line play when it comes to individual time is you usually have all that extra individual time during special teams. Yes. And so you can work them with a, a two-offensive line look, just work one at a time, a penetrator or a looper, and the coach stands behind him and he gives him a run block or a pass block and then the player has to react to it. Or you could put all five offensive linemen up there. You know, you could put all five offensive linemen up there and the coach stands behind the defense and he directs whether he wants a zone or whether he wants a full slide or 
if he wants man or if he wants slide away. And then the defense line has to react and work on that. But there'll be a particular section in practice every single week that will be designated to games and stunts exclusively, especially pass games. I mean, pass games are easy to show a player how to do, but they're hard to execute. I mean, it's one of the things that I've found takes longer to really be effective is a pass game. I mean, they just can't help themselves with the things that give away to an offensive lineman that show that they're running a game. You really have to coach them that every pass game has to look like a rush. As soon as your pass game starts looking like a game, it's not going to be effective. The offensive line is going to see it. They're going to trade it. They're not going to get beat on it. You know, it, it has to look like a rush. And so I think it's important that you, one, you teach it on air first so they understand the um, footwork and they understand the timing and they understand um, how tight they have to loop and where the penetrator needs to get to from contained situations and, and all that. But then where you really grow when you're working games is you got to get the linemen in there and the linemen have to give them the right look with their sets, with their trying to trade it off into man. And you have to just rep that to death. You know, some good team settings that you can do that in most places that I've worked when you go to one-on-one pass rush, part of one-on-one pass rush will be one-on-one pass rush. And then the second part of that will be a game section. And that's where you really can get a good look on how exactly to fit a a game when you go against an offensive line. And don't forget all a game is all a pass rush game is, is a changing of lanes. Mm -hmm. All it is, is a changing of lanes. And as you change lanes, you're trying to get an edge on the offensive line to where you can have a better angle to, to pressure the quarterback. Couldn't agree with you more on utilizing that time. Typically, I see a lot of teams work one-on-one, but being able to work guys in combo, being able to pass those off for the offensive line is going to benefit them as well. So it's a, a great use of, of your time. Uh, it does slow things down a little bit. You can do it. You don't have to be all five guys at a time. Usually that's a nice chunk of time to get a good amount of reps in. So you know, I think it all depends on how many guys you have to work. If you have a, a smaller team, smaller roster, not as many guys, you can you can work it, you know, in pairs as compared to all five against four, three, or whatever you have coming there. But I agree with you 100% that you can find the time to work those things, and it's going to make your team better, both sides of the ball. Well, when it comes to special teams time, it's important that you send your scout offense alignment with your defense alignment coach because the offense alignment aren't going to be involved in special teams either. Right. So you want to send your scout offense alignment with your defensive line coach and your scout defense alignment, you know, you can send them with your offensive line coach and now those guys can get a better look to execute those, those techniques. Definitely. Coach, we're going to move on to the Iowa Penn state game. I thought just a tremendous job by both of those defensive coordinators, Phil Parker and Brent Pry, And Overall, just I thought a very well-coached game. I saw a lot of adjustments. You look at the the effect of coaching, I thought that was kind of a textbook game that you could look at and say, those guys really coached their butts off. Yeah, I, I, I really liked watching this game because I think that adjustments, clock management, game management, understanding situations, those are things that win you football games. 
so many times I think the fans get caught up in the yards and, and, and even maybe how many points an offense scores. But those aren't things that win games. Those things, as people would say, are just things that sell tickets. What win games is understanding situations and winning situations. And I thought this game was one of those types of games that really showed good football. And it was very fun for me to watch. You know, from a defensive standpoint, Iowa is, a, is an over-quarters uh, team, and, and that's their base defense. And, and they run that a lot of the time, but they run it very well. You know, as a, as a defensive coordinator, you always have to make the decision, what is enough bullets to attack an offense, okay, so that they can't out-scheme us, but what is not too much that we can't execute? And some defensive coordinators really hang their hat on not doing a whole lot, but understanding within that scheme that you're running how to pretty much stop everything and have invested the time and the reps and the details and coaching or checks in order to be able to execute that Mm -hmm. defense. And one particular thing that I saw from Iowa was in their quarters defense, they were constantly getting doubles on their verticals when number two eliminating himself. If you're going to use your outside backer slash nickel in the run fit, then he's got to line up inside the number two receiver. And in quarters, that means that the safety has him on a vertical, but then who has him to the flat? It can either be the corner or it could be the safety or it could be the outside backer could have him to the flat. Generally, if the outside backer has him to the flat, then you have to like a, a, a same run fit as a bracket structure, which means he's got to line up on the wide out, and that outside backer could be a nickel. And then the safety is responsible for being in the run fit. But what Iowa has done a good job of is if it were a run, the outside backer fit the run. But as soon as he read pass, the outside backer would expand and take two to the flat, okay? And what that did is that allowed the safety, as soon as the outside backer grabbed two to the flat, to double number one. And I thought that they did an excellent job of keying that with their nickel slash outside linebacker. And now when I say outside, they're, they're a 4-3, so he'd be a Sam backer or a nickel. And we're constantly getting doubles on the number one when the number two eliminated himself in quarters. Solid game plan there. A team that executes well and values that execution over having you know a million different things to do. But they were faced with something too early in the game. Penn State loses their starting quarterback. Their their next guy certainly is capable, but he's a different guy. You know, in those situations where the offense loses a key player in the game, it could be early, it could be later. How does that? affect your approach and thought process and what things I guess before you you make any kinds of decisions of what to do with that that change in their personnel what are you looking for before you might make an adjustment to what you have game plan going into every game you have your game plan for what you expect but you also have to have enough defense and a lot of times you just rely on your base defense because your base defense has to be designed where you can know how to line up and stop everything. Maybe not for a negative yard play, but enough to execute 
and to, and to keep you off the field. Your base defense is enough to stop if, you, if somebody comes out and runs something you were not anticipating. But on your call sheet, you're going to have what are called stoppers, which means if you're running these particular type of plays within my game plan, this is what I'm going to call to stop those particular type of plays. And sometimes with a quarterback change, you'll see that their game plan changes. So the calls that you were calling more common for particular plays are now going to be different offensive plays that you're going to see. So you're going to have to call something different. You just need to make sure before you go into each game that you've covered everything that you need to stop and that you've defined what your stopper is on defense to run it and to start running that. For example, a young quarterback that comes in the game that's not necessarily an athletic quarterback, they may rely more on their run game. Mm -hmm. Okay, So now some of your drop back pass and quick game calls, you might not need to call those as much. You might need to load up the box now and stop the run because a young quarterback coming into the game now, they're not going to try to put too much on his plate. Or I've fallen into the case where you had a drop back quarterback that was a starter. He got hurt, and here in comes an athletic quarterback. Well, now you better get into some quarterback run stoppers, right? Now you, you better get out of your single high, or if you are in single high, you better have the post player coached up what to do if he gets a quarterback run. And you better be in position to stop an athletic quarterback. And, and on, you know where the biggest, I think, gain is having an athletic quarterback? It's not on quarterback runs. It's on scrambles. Mm -hmm. And so your front rush mentality has to change. And maybe the way that you call your games or your rush or your pressures has to change. If, you, if, if an athletic quarterback comes in for a drop-back quarterback, okay, now you have to take rush lanes into consideration and you have to take what type of pressures you're calling into the situation. Overloaded pressures where you're not necessarily lane sound, okay, those don't work against athletic quarterbacks. Now, a drop-back quarterback, those may work. So things like that you have to take into consideration if that type of quarterback has changed too. Now, in the game planning process, you know, I know you don't necessarily get into working all kinds of stuff against, okay, if the here's their number two, but how much do you look at and say, what is their number two guy like in case he gets into the game? Do you, do you take a look at that? Do you assign somebody to it? How do you approach that? Definitely. You have to take that into consideration every week. And like I said, especially if he's much different. If he's, if he's very similar, it's not as big a deal. But if he's a different player – then, then you definitely have to take that consideration. When I was a defense coordinator at Kentucky, we were playing Kentucky, or we were playing Louisville in the last game of the year, and at halftime, they took out their their starter, okay, and they brought in their backup, and their backup did a tremendous job. Well, that that backup's name was Lamar Jackson, <laughs> and it was the last game of the year. I mean, there's an example of it was a different type of player that came in for sure. So you'd be better be ready to defend it. We were beating them 24 seven at half and they had a drop back quarterback that was playing. And at halftime they brought Lamar Jackson. In, and believe me, the dy dynamics of that game changed really quick at halftime. Yeah. And so you have to understand what type of quarterback that is that is sitting behind the, uh, the starter. So coach flipping to the other side, Penn state, 
and defensive coordinator Brent Pry. What kinds of things did you see that you liked in, in what they were doing? First snap of the game, uh, Penn State ran three buzz, which I think is a great coverage to, to definitely try to confuse a quarterback because the insert's a little bit different from the safety. Okay, It could look like a light box. You know, you might get a run checked, and, and once that safety drops in there to, to play inside linebacker, nobody blocks him. And then it also uh, – he takes away a zone that may, may look open to the quarterback, and, and then, then it's not there. And I think Iowa may have run H-cross or something, and they were in position to cover it, and it was really effective. Three buzz is, is, is a really good defense, especially if you're running some brackets and some quarters. You know, the, the quarterback lines up and the center lines up and they, they see the linebacker removed and they assume it's a light box and they assume it's a too high shell. And then all of a sudden, you know, the linebacker buzzes and plays the flat and then the safety drops in and, and replaces the linebacker. I've seen that be actually more effective even in the run game in the pass game because nobody blocks him. He drops down there. He's not in the mic identification and, and nobody's targeting to him. And then he just runs down there free and makes a play. And then against their 22 sets, I saw some, some under one and uh, you know, an under one defense when they got to the, into the red zone, they took that safety out of the middle of the field and he was doubling the wide out, which I think that's effective. Anytime you call a single high defense, as soon as it gets into the red zone, you don't need that player to be in the middle of the field. You need to assign him to do something. He can double the, the wide out. He could double the slot. He could uh, play the quarterback. Okay, but you don't need to be in a single high defense in the red zone. Assign that player something else to do. And I thought Penn State was doing a good job of assigning that guy to, to double the wide out. You know, under one, the weakness of that would be a, a, a lead zone or a lead stretch and then and then cutting the ball back and, and forcing that safety to tackle and and um, Iowa ran that I think on the second play of the game that particular play into under one and got about nine yards and then the next series Penn State lined up with that same look and they brought field pressure and slanted and and tackled the the uh, outside zone for a loss so it's important too that whatever front look that you're going to give Make sure that your pressure look looks just like it, right? Mm-hmm. That your pressure look okay, looks just like it and, and, and complement those with each other so that uh, the offense is, is constantly um, trying to figure out what you're doing. Yes, I noticed that too. And again, just that chess match that I alluded to, these guys just doing a great job of making those adjustments as the game went on and, and having an answer to, okay, they're doing this now. Here's what we're going to do. Now, early in the game, and I think this is uh, a great conversation and also a lot to learn from, uh, Penn State does a good job. They, they get off the field. Uh, Iowa punts it deep. They're backed up. Off, Penn State offense is backed up, and I'm not sure if it was a, a poor decision or a poor throw or a combination of the two, but uh, Iowa takes it away, and, and uh, now Penn State has to stiffen up right there, believe they were – you know, I know they were inside the 15, somewhere around the 10, and they got to come up with a stop again. And I was reading, actually, I was listening. I, I read it years ago, but was listening to Bo's Lasting Lessons. And in, in one part of it in his book, he talks about sudden change and the importance of sudden change and how they ingrained that 
in their team. And I thought it was pretty impressive that Penn State was faced with that in a huge game between number three and four, right? All, all kinds of implications in this game. And their defense stepped up and uh, w- was able to stop Iowa there. Yeah, sudden changes is, uh, is a critical situation. It's one that you cover in training camp, and it's one that, that you talk about and you practice. And like I said, the game of football is, is a bunch of situations, and then whoever wins the situations wins the game. You know, situations could be third down, two-minute, goal line, red zone, four-minute. Well, sudden change is one of those situations. So you're going to practice sudden change and practice. You're going to talk about it in the meetings. You're going to show people video of sudden change. And one philosophy that I have in sudden change is no matter who was on the rotation to go in, the, the starters go in. So we're going to get our best 11 out there in a sudden change situation. And as you take the huddle to send that defense out, okay, it's a, a message of optimism. One of the reasons why sudden change is so important is the sideline can become deflated and you don't want the sideline to be deflated, right? So you as a coach, you've already taught those guys before that sudden change situation happened in the game. You already taught them in practice. Hey, we got this. Okay. You've already practiced that mentality and that belief. Okay. And that idea, because that's a situation that you practice and practice. As soon as sudden change hits, the ones take the sideline and all 11 guys and the coach are talking about, Hey, this is us, man. This, this doesn't change it. what's going on this game. This isn't going to affect us. We're going to, we're going to take care of business and, and, and we're going to put a stop to them. So it's important that sudden change is practice and that sudden change is something that you teach the players their mentality on how they need to approach the play and how they need to take the field. You mentioned installing that in camp. What are some of the best ways to install that? Obviously, you're not in the emotions of the game, but you want them to understand those kinds of things. So how do you go about installing sudden change? The first thing that I do is I do it with the whole defense. And I'll have a PowerPoint slide, and I'll talk about some points that are important in sudden change. One of those I just mentioned is, hey, all 11 or or the the starting 11 are going to go out and play. And then I'll show video of some clips, and I try to keep my video um, to the league. I show show video clips of successful sudden change series by defense within our league, and then I'll show – some that are unsuccessful, and I'll talk about it. And then when we go out and practice, you know, the best time to practice it, obviously, is when you're doing some type of sideline simulation in practice, whether it's a scrimmage or whether it's a mock game. And then first you walk through it so everybody knows where they're coming from on the bench. And when the word sudden change is said, that the uh, starting 11 come up there and they go up there and they get in. But then you also want to practice it and practice when they're not expecting it. Mm-hmm. You know, the head coach may, in the middle of practice, just blow the whistle and say sudden change. And then when that happens, you know, they stick the ball somewhere and you get uh, your starting 11 up there and, and the offense goes up there and then you have to defend it. I learned about sudden change. My dad was a high school coach and I don't know, I was probably – uh, seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that age, I would go to all the practices. And one of the, uh, the things they would do 
they would do to install it is, you know, into the practice, you know, this is back in the, in the uh, 70s, late 70s, you know, they're, they're conditioning, they're running their conditioning, doing a ton of that. They're definitely different than a lot of what we do today, but they'd finish that up, kind of make it feel like those guys were done and getting off the field. And that's when they would yell sudden change and put them back on the line. And, you know, the first time they did it, there'd be a lot of moans and groans and complaining and finger pointing. Usually they say, you know, somebody didn't work hard. We're going back and doing this again. And just that idea of, you know, calming the emotions. We have a job to do. We're not going to complain right now. We're not going to point fingers. We got to go out there and do it. And so uh, that was my first exposure to sudden change in football. But I do think it really is a mentality and in, in Bo in his book talked about, you know, how they ingrained it so much in their team that, you know, on the sideline when it would happen, they'd start chanting sudden change. And he felt like, you know, their approach to a turnover, they might even get more excited about it than the other team. And I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I think that uh, a big part of it is a mentality and you have to emphasize that in practice if you're going to get it in the game. Definitely. Well, coach uh, another great week of games and as I said you know this year has kind of been we could record that and just hit it again at the beginning of the next one I'm sure we're going to see some great things this week too so I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what defenses are doing and seeing what we can learn from it definitely thanks for having me Keith it's been fun we'll be back again next week with another installment of defense with DJ on Mondays as we've been doing throughout the season we have our adjustment series on Tuesdays We have In the End Zone with Noel Mazzoni, where we talk about some of the things we can learn from the big games from the past weekend. And then, of course, Wednesdays are with DJ Elliott. On the other days, we've been pulling some things from our archives that were from our first year, or most people didn't hear, but some great stuff with Terry Shea, a former FBS and NFL coach and current NFL draft consultant. And then the other one is usually an in-season short episode we have with one of our past guests so keep tuning in follow all we're doing at coachingcoordinator.com and follow me on twitter at coach k grabowski